Welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast. Elijah Rising is an organization empowering women recovering from sexual exploitation. This episode is going to help you become more aware about the issue of sex trafficking and inspire you to take action. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Elijah Rising podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. This is Andrea Cressy, and I'm not going to give you all of her titles. I'm going to let her do that herself. But Andrea, why don't you just introduce yourself and, and share with our audience who you are, what you do, and some of the, the descriptions of your titles. Okay, great. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited about this. And uh, again, my name is Andrea Cressy. Mm. I am the Forensic Nursing Program Director Mm. for Houston Methodist. We have seven hospitals in our system. We see patients for sexual assault, domestic violence, Mm. human trafficking, and elder abuse. Um, I am a forensic nurse. I've been a nurse for a long time. Critical care mostly has been my specialty um, Mm. for about 28 years mostly in the emergency room. And then in 2007, I became a forensic nurse. Mm -hmm. And um, in the beginning, we mostly just took care of patients with sexual assault. Mm -hmm. Um, But since that time, we have found that... um, Forensics has evolved as well as, you know, our nursing practice. So um, we, at our hospital, um, we started a program. It's been almost two years ago that we expanded. Mm -hmm. So now we treat our patients for human trafficking, domestic violence, and elder abuse. Wow. Yeah, so I'm what's called a SANE nurse. Um, Mm. It is a sexual assault nurse examiner, Mm. um, and I am certified. um, I have a SANE A, Mm. so that means that I'm certified not only nationally but internationally um, to conduct forensic exams. So it's a passion I've had for a long time, Mm. and you know I'm so thankful that y'all invited me here today so we can talk about such a very vulnerable population of human Mm. trafficking and how we're really working on educating our nurses, our staff, mm-hmm. um, our physicians, um, just about the great need that we have to take care of these patients. Wow. Yeah, I'm so glad you said all those things because I had no idea internationally you recognized. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Well, first of all, just thank you for the work that you're doing. I, I don't think people understand the toll day in and day out examining trauma yeah. and inspecting trauma. And so could you speak to that just the relationship that you have with Elijah Rising, the relationship that you have with law enforcement, how does a forensic SANE nurse become integral to both the restorative care, um, rehabilitation side, and the law enforcement side? Sure. So, you know, it's huge with what we do to have our multiple you know disciplinary partners which mm. obviously Elijah Rising has, has been a great resource for mm. us um, we work with quite a few um, organizations in the greater Houston area mm. with our human trafficking patients so we're very thankful to have those resources mm. um, you know law enforcement we work with law enforcement we work with Homeland Security yeah. um, with the FBI um, so it, it's all integral um, you know and having our advocacy mm. is huge and and the thing that um, I shouldn't say differs a lot, but it does in some respects with human trafficking patients is it's um, time is of the essence. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, multiple concerns with them. Obviously, mm. security and safety is one of the biggest ones that mm. we address, you know, the minute they yeah. hit our door. 
Um, and then for them, you know, their con- their concerns. You know, we have mm-hmm. to really be very transparent. You yes. know, they're very nervous about even coming forward in the first place to see us. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, when they come to see us, it's a pretty bad situation. Yeah. So we we just try to address that. You know, we want to take care of them. We want to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. Um, we do work closely with law enforcement. Um, but with that being said. We also want them, we want to empower them. So if they're not a mandatory report, which a mandatory report is um, anyone that's under the age of 18, Mm -hmm. over 65, or is mentally handicapped. Mm -hmm. Um, So if they meet that criteria where they don't have to report, Mm -hmm. uh, we give them that choice. So um, because that's a a huge fear for them and a Mm -hmm. huge concern. So, you know, we leave that up to them. Certainly if they want law enforcement involved, Mm -hmm. we will get them involved for them Um, and then again if they don't want law enforcement involved then we we honor that wish as well Mm -hmm. can you break down you said time is of the essence I think people have been to the doctor before they've been in an exam but talk Mm -hmm. about those critical moments that as a nurse you have with this woman um, whether her pimp is with her or he's waiting in the lobby. Can you just kind of break down that for us, those sure. moments that you have? Sure. So, you know, just kind of I'll start with sort of when they hit our door. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come in various um, different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spoke previously about a, a screening tool that we use now. Mm-hmm. We implemented that. It's been about a year and a half ago in our mm-hmm. organization. So it's a very quick tool that our um, start with our registration um, personnel, where they can kind of look at that patient and just, you know, there's some red flags that go off the minute they come in, right? Yeah. They a lot of times don't have their own personal identification. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really know where they're at. That's another big red flag. Yeah. Not sure what city they're in. Um, and then there's usually a person that's doing the talking for them. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of the big tip-off to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so then they usually relay that information to the nurse, you know, just concerned about just the demographic piece. Yeah. So then the nurse, without really asking, you know, full-blown questions, um, mm-hmm. just the affect of what the patient is like. So mm-hmm. is that person standing there doing all the talking for them? Mm-hmm. Does their complaint that they're checking in with, does it really add up? Is mm-hmm. it is it really what they're there to see us for? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of, it's just a simple four-question mm-hmm. um kind of checkbox that our nurses do mm-hmm. without really even asking. They don't even have to ask the patient any questions. It's really mm-hmm. what they're observing that's going on in that that kind of first face with the mm-hmm. nurse. Yeah. Um, so then if they're concerned, then that triggers a flag. Mm-hmm. So when they get back, now the doctor has seen that flag and so has the primary nurse that will be taking care of mm-hmm. them. So our goal is to professionally handle, you know, how do we get this controlling person that's with them removed from the room so we can speak with them privately. Mm. So you have to get creative (laughs) because we all know pimps are, they're not going to go away easy. And, um, and if in fact, if this is a pimp, so, you Mm. know, we, we still have a lot of, you know, kind of sorting out to do. So typically our first go-to 
is we ask them if they if we can get a urine sample. Mm. One of our big red flags is when that person that's with them wants to follow them into the restroom. Oh, wow. So we usually know, like, okay, there's no reason. You know, we always say, oh, you can wait right here, and, you yeah. know, we'll be back. And um, so that's our chance to kind of isolate them. Mm. And then we ask them, you know, we're concerned. Um, mm. Obviously, lots not adding up right now. And so, you know, we have a safety plan if Mm -hmm. you want to do this. And, you know, if you're in danger, Mm -hmm. we're here to help. Um, Sometimes we can't always do it that way. Um, Sometimes we'll pretend like they need an x-ray. Uh-huh. You know, to really like get them out of the department because this person that's with them is very controlling. Mm. So, so we have to get a little creative as well. Absolutely. So, in the event that they identify, which is very difficult for them to do, but mm. in the event that they say, Yes, I need help. Mm-hmm. So, then we completely isolate them we get security Mm -hmm. security goes and usually at that point when the security officer is going in to let them know that they're going to need to you know leave Mm -hmm. the premises um they usually have a pretty good idea of what's going on so and it can be challenging um they don't always go easily Mm -hmm. (laughs) so we um we have to keep that in mind so that's why i say you know time is of the essence and in this one particular case that i'm thinking of that we just had not too long ago Mm -hmm. um she had two cell phones going so you know that's sometimes a red flag too Mm. um and they're very concerned about turning those cell phones off Mm -hmm. so what we have done and you know lots of research with human trafficking and working with law enforcement Mm. and you know district attorneys things like that um we have what's called a faraway bag Mm. so we ask them you don't have to turn it off we get you don't want to turn it off but can you just slip it into this bag Mm -hmm. and we're going to hold it for you securely And what it does is it turns off all their tracking. So they, um, the pimp can't track them anymore, even though sometimes they know they're there, but, but they can't relay messages to them because that was the one thing that we found early on, Mm. um, as we started treating our human trafficking patients, they would be very willing to do the exam at first. Mm. And then the text messages kept coming in and then it was like, okay, now I've got to go. I've just got to leave. So we always are very cognizant of that. Mm. Um, and then the rescue agencies that we work with, um, yeah. we have to be quick because usually, mm. you know, they, they want to, you know, get them to a safe place. So, mm. yes. you know, it's like we've got to, you know, get your exam done, get mm-hmm. you going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you and I had spoke about a patient that um, we worked with with Homeland Security and the FBI. Yeah. And, and I think this was kind of a really um, – she was a very challenging patient. Um, she mm-hmm. was brought in from Las Vegas mm-hmm. and um, in a sting. And, and what was, um, I think, so hard for this uh, patient was that, you know, she had been just for, you know, months and months mm-hmm. um, when she was, you know, taken into trafficking. Um, she had been given methamphetamine and heroin. Mm-hmm. So it was really difficult for her because, you know, wow. she was withdrawing. And, I mean, mm-hmm. they literally had brought her to us right from getting her off a plane. So, mm-hmm. you know, just all those issues, you mm-hmm. know, that they deal with with substance abuse. Yeah. Um, so we have to really, you know, be cognizant of that. And mm-hmm. what does that look like? What can we do? to help them get through the exam yeah. and medically that they're okay. So mm-hmm. so we definitely have some challenges um, oh when we work with our patient population that is being trafficked. Absolutely. You know, I have this statistic because you shared it with me, but 
88% of women who are being trafficked come through a medical portal in some regard. Right. Yet only 18% are identified as being right. trafficked. And so I know you spoke to the tool mm-hmm. that you and your team created about a year and a half ago, but yeah. what more in the training aspects do you think are critical for nurses and healthcare staff to carry as they're standing as gatekeepers for these women right. that are coming in and really responsible for intercepting them at such a strategic point in their journey. Um, are there places of just compassion or, or mm-hmm. what are some tools? Could you break down some of the tools that you guys um, develop with healthcare professionals with the tool? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that is such an alarming statistic. And I think when I first mm-hmm. read that, I was pretty shocked myself. So, you know, our best tool is education. Mm-hmm. And um, so providing education to our staff mm-hmm. and not only just our nurses and our physicians, but our housekeepers, mm-hmm. our, you know, electricians, yes. um, you know, registration folks. I mean, who's ever in that hospital setting mm-hmm. because it is such a vulnerable population and mm-hmm. it's a very high risk population mm-hmm. as well. So, so really our best tool is educating mm-hmm. um, and and like we say, you know, if you see something, say something. Yes. If something doesn't add up, there's a reason. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about, you know, our ER nurses are so phenomenal with mm-hmm. their, you know, gut instinct when, you know, that. something's not right with the patient and they're mm-hmm. very sick, mm-hmm. you know. And it's usually that first, you know, kind of feel that they get that yeah. this patient's not doing well. And mm-hmm. it's the same with trafficking. Mm-hmm. You know, there's those red flags. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, when we talk about um, education with our nurses, nurses they're like well it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and it is uncomfortable it's very uncomfortable to talk to them and you know you don't want to seem accusatory Mm -hmm. because you know clearly they've um been you know they're they've been told that you know they're going to be arrested they're going to be deported um you know so they have all these things and law enforcement is bad Mm -hmm. and um you know a lot of times too you know they're just there they just want a quick pregnancy test or they want std prophylaxis you know they they just want those pimps want them in and they want them out so i i think you know for us to combat that as best we can i think you know we've got to empower our staff and give them the tools you know to educate them and and not judge them you know that that's another thing that you know i find as i do this training um with not only our staff but you know we work with our advocacy with our communities And um, it's easy to stereotype someone and you think, well, you could just leave, right? Mm -hmm. Why don't you just leave? Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes they have children involved. They have financial issues. Um, You know, so I always tell my staff, you know, until Mm -hmm. we've walked in in their shoes, we really can't make that judgment and it's so important to be supportive because when you are supportive Mm -hmm. you're going to get a lot more information Mm -hmm. from them and and sometimes even our doctors will say you know it's so funny i went in there and i spoke with them none of that came out Mm -hmm. and then the nurse goes in and it's like this whole you know slew of information comes forward so you know that's that's Mm -hmm. really huge that we talk about that you know what what did that nurse do that made that patient you know feel comfortable and Mm -hmm. feel where she could 
you know, actually say what's going yeah. on. And with the doctor, she didn't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. So, so again, it's just huge education on yeah. our part and um, just learning, learning the signs and, you know, and what to do when we have identified and, and they have self-reported because that's, that's really, you know, for them to, mm-hmm. like I say, for them to come forward and actually say, this is happening to mm-hmm. me, you know, it's bad. Yeah. I'm curious, is there any um, TBRI, trust-based relational models in the education process of nurses and health professional staff? Well, there is. I mean, there's what we call trauma-informed care. Okay. Um, So, and and that's, you know, a big one because, and and really the basis, the model of trauma-informed care Mm -hmm. is not only to build a rapport with them, Mm -hmm. but to empower them and to be very transparent with them because you know, when you think about them and where they're coming from, mm-hmm. they don't trust anyone. Exactly. You know, and rightfully so, right? They've mm-hmm. been completely, you know, taken advantage of mm-hmm. and vulnerable. And, um, you know, nothing is worse when we, you know, are sneaking around or, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to call the police and yeah. they're not, you know, so we don't do that. You mm-hmm. know, we, I say, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, we need to be very clear with them, mm-hmm. you know, what this plan of care looks like. Yeah. And I think. I think when they know that, you know, going in that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm here to help you. I want to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And anything you tell me is confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does change things for them. Yeah. So, yeah. I was uh, pursuing medicine through high school and college and working as an intern at MD Anderson and different things. And I'm listening to you and I'm like, this is why I didn't make it in healthcare. <laughs> I'm way too emotionally invested. Uh, and I think, well, you know, the the difficulty to be both a professional but also caring compassionate and and removing some of that sterile nature that typically comes when you're in a professional setting and the the expediency of building that trust in a moment with this young woman who you have maybe five minutes with maybe 10 minutes with and so i appreciate you sharing that i know that trauma-informed care is a massive piece and just understanding the levels of abuse and assault and years of dissociation and fragmentation that many of these women have been under and so i appreciate you speaking to that oh sure um I, i really want our listeners to be able to understand some of what you and your team experience on a daily basis. I think many of us, we have jobs that we think are hard, Mm -hmm. but you intercept trauma every single day in some Mm -hmm. regard. Mm -hmm. You're having to listen to it. You're having to see it. How does someone like you in the position that you're in maintain health? How do you maintain stability in the midst of everyone else's instability. Right, right. And that's a really good question. And I think a, a question that we need to obviously work on a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, self-care has become a really big thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I admit, when I was a brand new forensic nurse, we didn't really talk about it. You know, yeah. it's kind of like you did your exam, you went home, and, mm-hmm. you know, you sort of had, you know, your own kind of debrief. Um, but now that's one thing, you know, we have um, case reviews, we have mm-hmm. meetings with our forensic nurses, 
And we do, you know, especially because I review all the charts and, and, you know, I'll look through some of them and I think, wow, that was a, that must have been a really tough case. Yeah. So I'll reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I, I looked at the history of, you know, the assault that you just did. Mm. You know, how did that go for you? How are you doing? Good. Wow. And, um, you know, there's times where we do um, ask them, you know, to get some emotional support. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually it's, you know, they're they're very willing to because they they understand that you know and, and sometimes you think you're okay i mean i've through the years i've definitely i've left and i you know just kind of a one off and i'm thinking what's wrong with me yeah. you know something is not right and then mm-hmm. you know and then when i let myself kind of debrief with mm-hmm. someone else mm-hmm. and start saying you know that that was what was going on with me yeah. i just was you know and and i've always you know i did pediatric trauma for quite oh, some wow. time and you know i found that i wasn't mm-hmm. a very good pediatric trauma nurse because mm-hmm. i couldn't just leave it at the door and leave no. you know i would wake up in the middle of the night and yeah. think about it and then that's when you start realizing you mm-hmm. know i'm not healthy with this this mm-hmm. is causing me a lot of grief but yeah. i think the good news is is that we've identified this through the years and mm-hmm. just nursing in general mm-hmm. and you know what we do need to do to take care of ourselves and and mm-hmm. it really debrief is a huge one oh, that's huge. so and getting outside, you know, yes. exercising, doing whatever you can, you know, mentally yes. to, you know, to make yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think, oh, yeah. I think people lose it. They lose sight of the work that's mm-hmm. needed, both on the field, but also internally. I mean, right. we say this in our organization a lot. We are not the savior. And I think yeah. when people feel like they're the project and a savior has come to save them, it creates even more of that resistance. Right. And so I think bridging the humanity of who we are and the steps and the real care that's needed to keep endeavoring in the work that we're doing is, right. is huge. And I want to break off the taboo that we're just superheroes who just yeah. do the work. Yeah. You know, we actually break down and we realized oh man that was a five-year-old and i'm not okay with that and so can we talk a little bit i'll pivot back um you and i discussed over the phone just the difficulty of Mm self-reporting um it seems kind of like an obvious answer of why it's difficult and why it doesn't happen but can Mm -hmm. you speak to some of the cases that you've experienced where the signs were there it was very very obvious that this Mm -hmm. woman was being abused or trafficked but she couldn't self-report she couldn't self-identify with being a victim right and there you know obviously so many different scenarios of you know things that keep them in the life Mm -hmm. um but one case that i think kind of is really profound for me was a gal that had come to houston um Mm -hmm. she was basically just kind of wanted a fresh start she was Mm -hmm. young i think she was 18 at the time and uh, went to work in a restaurant. And, um, you know, when you listen to her story, you're like, wow. I mean, mm-hmm. they were grooming her from mm-hmm. the get-go. She didn't really have a place to stay. So, you know, one of the managers, I believe, kind of mm-hmm. let her stay on the couch, sort of. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when she sort of explained how it kind of got going yeah. and then how she became so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And she said, when I left Colorado, it was a bad mm-hmm. situation that I left. So it's like, I've got to make it here. Yeah. So I I can't let anybody know that mm. all this is going on. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, when um, she was brought to us, she was handcuffed in a car and 
was in a, involved in a high speed chase, oh and uh, they crashed. And thankfully, she was okay. Yeah. Um, but that's what uh, this guy who was slash the manager versus mm. I mean he was her pimp really yeah. and um, that's what he was doing he was tying her up um, at this you know apartment and mm. he was bringing you know people in to violate her mm. and um, but it was just you know it, and it was just so sad that she, yeah. you know, she just sort of had this, you know, he had everything over her. Mm. And the fact that, you know, she felt like her family would be so disappointed with mm. her and, you know, she couldn't really reach out to them. And um, I just felt so bad for her because yeah. I knew that, you know, she felt so lost. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just giving her that hope. And, and what was really, um, I actually got a follow-up on her because um, mm. she ended up going to court. Um, but what was really interesting about that case is I was speaking with um, an advocate that had been working closely with her, mm. and she had mended her, you know, family relationships. Mm. And so it was wow. such a great outcome because I was so happy to hear that because she was just such a sweet girl. Mm. So, so yeah, so self-reporting is tough, you know, because, mm like I say they come from such various backgrounds where mm -hmm. you know you know they talk about oh well they're a runaway but what are they running away from exactly. you know what's their home life like mm -hmm. what have they seen in their short years you know to make them feel like you know I'd rather live out on the street mm -hmm. and basically be taken advantage of yeah. than live in this home you know some of them grew up in foster care yeah. so there's there's just a multitude of you know issues that they have and and you know every single one of them that you talk to I think the common theme is I didn't want to be like this yeah. I didn't want this to happen to me mm -hmm. and of course they didn't mm -hmm. but you know you become so vulnerable in your situation yeah. and um, I had a patient one time which I thought was so interesting because like I say they're all so different mm -hmm. and um, I happened to notice when I started the exam that she had a very interesting tattoo so we started talking about it. And, you know, tattoos are always a good way to build rapport yes. because we talk about, hey, where'd you get that? You know, mm. and oh, and then then you start saying, well, you got it, one in L.A., one in Detroit. So you've been, so there's something more going mm -hmm. on, right, if you're getting these tattoos in all these different places. But this one in particular was a longhorn, and it was very mm. interesting looking. So it kind of piqued my interest. And um, she was there for a sexual assault exam, but no report of human trafficking. So... Mm. Anyways, we kind of started talking about the tattoo. And by the end of the exam, we had a very good report going on. Mm. And by the end of the exam, she was showing me on Facebook all of the different girls that were basically being trafficked mm. in the different locations that she was in. And, and all of this just kind of came out wow. from the tattoo. And mm. um, But interestingly enough, she didn't identify herself as being trafficked mm -hmm. because she was actually that person's, you know, girlfriend mm -hmm. and, you know, she he wasn't seeing anybody else but her. Mm -hmm. But yet all these girls, well, this girl lives in Corpus Christi and mm -hmm. this girl's at his penthouse in downtown Houston and this girl is over in Austin. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, just kind of my mind, I'm yeah. like, wow, you know. So mm -hmm. I said, you know, it seems to me mm -hmm. like, this is a trafficking situation, you know, because what, from what you're telling me, and I'll be darned, she just opened up. She said, mm. I, I mean, I can't even believe I'm living like this. <laughs> and, wow. you know, where in the beginning, it seems so normal to mm -hmm. her. And, um, and I, 
no, it wasn't just what I said, but it was just, you know, fascinating to me totally. to see, you know, this yeah. kind of uh, thing that seemed normal to her exactly. and um, kind of breaking it down. And then it was like she had this revelation, like, mm. wow. <laughs> Wow. What is he doing to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, huge. yeah. And it was the simplicity of just building relationship, building From a rapport. Tattoo. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah. It's a key. I think people don't recognize. I think, and again, it circles back in with that savior mentality. If you had been so just intent on getting her to say what you thought she should say, mm-hmm. or whoever's in the position of intercepting someone in trauma yeah. or abuse, we lose sight of the person. Right. And I think that could have been an opportunity where it was the first time where someone actually took notice of her yeah. and valued something about her and wanted to know more and, and was willing to listen. Right. And so I just, I, I want to pull out those keys because it's significant yeah. that these women, you know, and these men, it's truly the lack of identity of a, of value, validation and value. And so I, just so appreciate and so honor the way that you give your life to yeah. seeing these women um, come to a place of revelation and breakthrough. Right. It's huge. Right. You were sharing a story with me uh, just recently before we started about the woman who just testified in court. Can you share a little bit about that? Because as we were saying, it was so significant that she was a little hesitant and reserved, but at the end of the day was able to testify uh, right. in that place. Can you just speak to... I want you to speak to the why, why it's so difficult. I know we talk about the vulnerabilities and, you know, shame, but what's really at the core there of why these women, when all the facts are on the table, so much so that it's being brought before a judge, why Mm -hmm. it's still so difficult to just speak forth truth. Right. Well, and I mean, obviously I'm not as well versed with the law and, you know, and, and the prosecution part, but, um, what I think, I mean, I, it just seems to me when you listen to them, you know, they have other women that they have to be accountable to. Oh, wow. And then, you know, obvious, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but I think, you know, they, they've built that rapport with the other girls mm-hmm. that they're being trafficked with. Mm-hmm. So for them to go forward to law enforcement and then make it all the way to a courtroom mm-hmm. to testify, um, and that particular case was actually, a, it was a federal case. Oh, wow. Um, she was trafficked, uh, you know, across state lines, that kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and, and, and the, the one thing also that I found very fascinating about that case was that our nurse that did the case, um, she was working with the federal prosecutor, mm-hmm. and um, and I didn't really realize this at first, but she was she took so much ownership, which I mean obviously mm-hmm. we do, but in her mind she thought if they get off it's mm-hmm. going to be because I did a bad exam or mm-hmm. I you know it was my fault and and I'll always remember what that prosecutor said to her which I thought was so interesting she said honey. And she was very, you know, you could tell she really uh, was very transparent. She said, honey, you're just a small piece of my puzzle, but I'm going to nail this guy. And she did. (laughs) So, yeah. So, but I thought, you know, that really resonated with me because Mm. sometimes we put so much of, you know, this exam has got to be perfect and I've got to testify perfectly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so much is in, and she's right. You Mm. know, we are a small piece of the puzzle. Mm. You know, it's multidisciplinary and there's a lot of factors that come into it. But um, we we can't carry the weight of the world and think that we're going to make or break this case. Mm -hmm. And so... And that's taken me a long time.
long time to learn. So it was really interesting to, because, you know, I wanted to support her. So I was there with her as she was, you know, doing the pretrial interview and all that. So, Mm. yeah, I thought that was just kind of an interesting revelation for me as well. So There's so many pieces involved. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's really, really good. Yeah. You know, just as we're kind of coming to a close, what would you say to the general public that are listening to this podcast. You know, obviously I work for an anti-trafficking organization. You work on the front lines of intercepting women who are coming in with abuse. What do you say to the this, the mom that's at home listening with her kids? What do you right. say to the guy driving to work who's listening to this podcast? How do we how do we be more equipped in helping identify and helping support those who are in abusive and traumatic situations? Yeah, and that's, you know, that's a great question because I think that we can all do our part Mm. and um, especially in the community. Mm. You know, if you see something, like I tell our nurses, if you see something, say something. Mm. And, um, you know, for these, you know, these poor parents nowadays, you know, they're dealing with these kids with, you know, social media Mm -hmm. and all these apps. And and I think we found, you know, because I'm, you know, every time, something new comes up I'm thinking where did that app come from and we had when COVID hit we had Mm. a little gal she was 14 Mm. and she had you know the school issued um, iPad and um, I may have told you about this and Mm. the uh, mom thought she was on her calculator doing her school work but it was an app that was behind the calculator Mm. and she um, was met by a 40 year old man Mm. who had picked her up at her home with her dog and uh you know she was very lucky i believe because Mm -hmm. she had her dog that saved her from probably being taken into being trafficked Mm -hmm. but um that poor mom you know i'll never forget when she was in our emergency room and she said basically blaming herself what did Mm -hmm. i do wrong and you did nothing wrong and obviously you're very you know close with your child Mm -hmm. and you want the best for them and you didn't know but you know like she said I'm going to make that my mission now Mm -hmm. to know these apps and to set these parental controls and I thought it was a school issued laptop Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be a problem Mm -hmm. but you know as we all know these pimps you know they're tricky and they just when I think you figure out one thing Mm -hmm. with them then they've got another thing going Mm -hmm. so so I guess that's the the biggest thing for parents is Mm -hmm. you know know what your child is looking at and just know that these apps exist Mm -hmm. and they're secretive and they always find a way to your child Mm -hmm. so you know just make sure that you're checking in with them regularly that you have those controls on their phone or their Mm -hmm. devices and you know and then in the community you know I think I told you about the case where one of my coworkers was just out getting gas. Yeah. And it was during the freeze, ironically. And she said there was a very nice SUV pulls up mm. and a young girl gets out and she's wearing cutoff shorts and a tank top and high heels. Mm-hmm. And so clearly what was wrong with that picture two older men this girl who's probably freezing Mm. dressed like that Mm. so you know if the dress is not adding up the situation wasn't adding up and she said I just knew something was wrong Mm. and what should I have done Mm. and you know obviously I don't want her to beat herself up but I would have just called 911 and said I'm concerned Mm. so that's what people ask me what do I do I mean we do have the National Human Trafficking Hotline Mm. number but in an urgent situation like that She goes, but what if it was nothing? I said, you know what? Err on the side of caution because who knows what, Mm. you know, what will happen Mm. to these children. So 
call 911. Yeah. So, yeah, that's mm. that's probably the best advice I can say. You know, mm-hmm. if you see something, say something. Yes. And do our best to protect our children and, mm. you know, these poor patients and, you know, people that have been drugged into this horrible life. Yeah. Well, we so appreciate the work that you do again. Oh, and this has you. been a really, really informative and educational podcast. And oh, thank you. to those of you who are listening, we appreciate you uh, tuning in to this episode with our forensic nurse, Andrea Cressy. Um, until next time, we hope that you guys follow all the work that Elijah Rising is doing. You can support us. You can go to ElijahRising.org slash donate and be a part of the restorative care process, the intervention process. A lot of what we do, again, intersects the work that Andrea is doing, the work that law enforcement is doing. And so we challenge you as you listen to this to discover the way that you can bring your peace and play your part in seeing justice come to our region. So thank you so much. And until next time, we'll see you guys. Thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you were inspired by this content today, please share, rate, and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation at elijahrising.org slash donate. Your support helps us continue the vital mission to combat sex trafficking. Until next time.